Coming up today on Maranatha Radio, Pastor Ray Bentley explains the blessing of forgiveness and the curse of retaliation. A truly godly, great man or woman of God has a gentle spirit, a gentle heart. They have a quick to forgive heart. If you hang on to bitterness, if you hang on to, I gotta get even, I gotta get revenge, I gotta take care of myself, you will lose your peace. Spread the news. Welcome to Maranatha Radio with Pastor Ray Bentley. Maranatha, bringing the message of Christ's soon return, the whole gospel to the whole world. If Jesus hung on to bitterness, we might see some harsh words about Roman soldiers in the red text in our Bibles. On the cross, he never would have said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. But Jesus modeled how to truly have a forgiving heart despite the wrong he suffered. Let's learn more. Let's open our Bibles to the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 17, verses 1 through 10. And then he said to his disciples, It is impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. And the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. So the Lord said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. And which of you, having a servant plowing or tending sheep, will say to him, when he has come in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat? But will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me till I have eaten and drunk, and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. So likewise you, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. Jesus issues this warning and he is, he's explaining to his disciples that because we live in a fallen world, a broken world, a world where we rebelled against God in the very beginning, the Garden of Eden, uh, there is sin. But because we live in a, a sinful and a fallen world, the first thing that Jesus mentions as a disciple is a duty to rebuke sin. And the first person you are to rebuke is yourself. And the first areas of sin that you are to rebuke are in yourself. Why that? Well, as you learn how to rebuke, as it were, your own self and walking after the spirit and not after the flesh, it will teach you how uh, to gently go with others. So we have a duty as disciples and followers and, and learners of Jesus Christ to rebuke sin. But then secondly, we have a duty not only to rebuke sin, we have a duty to forgive. And he says here, 
uh, in verse 3, take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. We have an, an obligation. We have a, a duty. I would add that in context, Jesus is saying, we as, as now God's children have the character that requires forgiveness. Our duty is, is uh, to rebuking is also tied to our duty to forgive. Now, Jesus goes on. Uh, he says, and if he repents, forgive him. And just in case your disciples were wondering, well, how many times do I have to forgive? If he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. Regardless of the personal nature of the offense, regardless of the repetition of the offense, we are duty bound to forgive. But Jesus did give one little caveat, if they repent. It's hard to forgive someone if they don't repent. God doesn't even forgive us if we don't forget. He died for us. He paid for our sins. But forgiveness really happens when there is a repentance. And as I mentioned here in your notes, Jesus' point is that it is better to be willing to forgive seven times a day than to refuse to forgive a truly repentant soul. Uh, we have to be careful, you know, whether, you, 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 whether they're sincere or not, whether or not we are that judge, God is the judge. If they repent, you kind of have to give them the benefit of the doubt. Now look with me in verses 5 and 6. This is some tough stuff that Jesus is saying. You've got to rebuke sin wherever you see it, starting with yourselves. And secondly, you've got to forgive. I don't care how many times a day. If they repent, you've got to forgive them. So what is the disciples' response? Verse 5. And the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And so the Lord said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea. And it would obey you. Jesus has just laid some very heavy responsibilities on his followers. And if I can, you know, put verse 5 in my own words, the disciples are reeling from what Jesus has just said. And they cry out in unison one thing, Lord, if you're going to require that of us, increase our faith. And I want you to take just a moment and notice what they did not ask for. They did not say, Lord, we need more love. Nor did they say, we need more tolerance so that we can forgive. They didn't even ask for more understanding. Lord, we need more understanding. No. You know why? They understood. They knew what he was asking. It was very simple, very direct, and very unambiguous, and very clear. We're to rebuke sin, and we're to forgive people as often as they will repent, even seven times, from the same person in the same day. So what they asked for is more faith. In order to rebuke the way Jesus does, he'll, he, he not only rebukes us, crazy fishermen and tax collectors and sinners and publicans, he'll rebuke even the Pharisees and religious leaders. He's not afraid of anyone, a respecter of persons. We need more faith to do that. And to forgive like Jesus. I can forgive you the first time, maybe two times, but seven times? And what if it, seven different people? Maybe, but the per same guy seven times offends me in one day, I gotta forgive him? I need more faith to do that. So in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 11, here's what Jesus had taught them earlier. 
He said, have faith in God, for assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe, have faith, trust, that you receive them and you will have them. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. In the whole context of another story, Jesus saying the same thing, you need faith. If you want to follow me, you need faith. And you need a greater faith and a more powerful faith. Faith is a gift from God. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 is in your notes. Let's read this scripture out loud together. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. How many of you could honestly say that you need more faith tonight? I'm, my hand goes up. I need more faith. Okay, guess what? You can't earn it. You can't be worthy of it. Good enough for it. Uh, merit it. It's a gift. How do you receive a gift? You ask for it. Lord, give us more faith. Lord, increase our faith. Now Romans 10, 17 is also in your notes. Let's read that scripture out loud. So then, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. We need more faith to follow these, these great demands and duties and responsibilities, and faith comes by knowing the Word and hearing the Word and believing and meditating and trusting and understanding and then obeying the Word. Faith comes by hearing. So bless you for being here tonight and reading your Bible, studying your Bible. Read it every day. Every single day, bring the word into your mind and into your heart. As we saw in 1 Peter, uh, desire, long for, crave the pure milk of God's word. Greater faith comes through the word of God, and it comes through spending time in prayer in the presence of the Lord. Pastor Ray Bentley will have more of today's study in just a moment. At Maranatha Radio, we've received so many cards, emails, and social media messages expressing appreciation for Pastor Ray's teaching. Pastor Ray was my pastor, and my heart hurt when I found out that he was gone from our presence. I know that he is greatly missed by so many. I always appreciated how he took time to talk to people. He was just so kind and full of love. I considered him not just my pastor, but my friend. And I'm thankful that this is not goodbye, as we will see him again in heaven someday. Listener comments are so encouraging. If you'd like to express your thoughts and tell us how these messages have impacted your life, would you take just 60 seconds and write an email? Send it to ray at raybentley.com or post it on our homepage at raybentley.com. And now more of today's message from Pastor Ray Bentley. May I say that we live in days where we need an increase of faith. I believe that what has already had begun to unfold, what is already happening in the world, we need more faith. Would you say amen to that? We need a book of Acts type faith for already the things that are beginning to take place. Not faith in the checkbook, not faith in my retirement plan, not faith in my company to get their act together, my faith in my boss. No, faith in God. 
spiritual faith, godly faith, a faith that, that says, if I lose my job, I am still at peace, for I know that God, if he closes one door, will open another. A faith that says, if my savings goes down, my trust is not in mammon or in riches or a plan uh, for some future date, but I will trust in the Lord. And man lives not by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I've never seen the wicked prosper, and I've never seen the righteous go hungry. And where you are living literally on the promises of God, an increased faith, great faith, And may I say this as well, because of the difficulties that are going on, and you know the the world is kind of in trouble. And so let me just say that when those kind of economic pressures come, people that are not following the Lord feel a greater freedom to steal and to rob and to take advantage. In other words, the Bible generally says as things get toward the end, things are going to get worse before they get worse. People are going to be robbing and stealing. And so uh, with all of that in mind, how are we to to live? We're going to have to forgive people. We're going to have to carry a, a, a character in our heart that is not rooted in the things, visible things seen in this world, but that is rooted in the spiritual, supernatural things that no one can rob my faith. And I believe that's probably true of most of you. But here's another one. If with increased faith, can we grow to the point where we can say, no one can rob my peace. Nothing can rob that that place of quiet in my heart with the Lord. I believe that God wants to lead his children in times of judgment, just like he did the children of Israel when Egypt had all these plagues and judgments are falling. Not because God didn't love the Egyptians, he did love them, and by his judgments, he was seeking for them to repent, which many of them did, and when Israel finally was released, a mixed multitude went with Israel into the wilderness. Egyptians, back in the days of Moses, got saved. They followed the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because they saw the judgments, they said, I'm not gonna worship that piece of stone anymore, I'm worshiping that pillar of fire and that cloud. And I'll go with him into the wilderness on the way to the promised land. There are Egyptians that are in heaven with Abraham going back to the days of Moses from those days. So we, we too, God put them in the land of Goshen and it was, like, it was like the Garden of Eden there, it says. God protected them. But we're gonna have to remain uh, forgiving. Great faith produces great forgivers. Abraham was a man of great faith. And he had a nephew named Lot uh, that argued and quarreled with him. Why? Over stuff. Well, I, I mean, my herdsmen are fighting with yours and I want my territory and I want my boundaries. And so Abraham was so gentle. He said, Lot, what do you want? I, I don't want to fight with you. And you can have, you pick. You get the first pick. You get the choice pick. He goes, oh, really? Well, okay. Well, it's the most green down there. Fine, take it. Abraham let him have it. Abraham was calm. Lot ended up getting into a lot of trouble. He was hanging out where he shouldn't have been, but God was with Abraham. Joseph was not treated right by his own brothers. Some of you may not be treated right by your brothers, and you may have to forgive, just like Joseph did. But God's more interested in your character than he is in those outward signs of prosperity. Moses, when he was challenged and reviled by Miriam, his own sister, and Aaron, 
didn't retaliate, but meekly trusted in God and said, hey, let God decide. I'll stand over here. You guys can go wherever you want, but I just want to seek the Lord. David, uh, who was chased by Saul with javelin, with spear, the armies of Israel, and he stood over Saul and he had the opportunity to kill his enemy that was pursuing him day and night and made his life miserable, stood over him and wouldn't touch a hair of his head for his respect and faith and trust in God. And he honored the Lord and God made David a man after his own heart. A truly godly, great man or woman of God has a gentle spirit, a gentle heart. They have a forgiving, uh, quick to forgive heart. And may I add, great faith will produce rest and calm. If you hang on to bitterness, if you hang on to, I gotta get even, I gotta get revenge, I gotta take care of myself, uh, you will lose your peace. Rest and calm comes from the faith that does not tolerate sin, but also is willing and quick to forgive. Now here's an interesting thing. In this context, Jesus says, and some people teach it as a totally you know, different, okay, now new subject, if you want faith, you can say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and it shall be. I don't think Jesus was talking about us being in control of rearranging geography. This is a parable, metaphor, metaphoric language. And what is he talking about? You'll be able to say to a tree, a mulberry tree, to be uprooted and, and to be planted elsewhere. I think that in the context, what he is saying is that if you will not reprove sin, it's like a hard place in your heart. If you will not be forgiving in the nature and character of God, it's like the roots of your own anger and bitterness. They will get so deep into your heart and into your nature that it's impossible for us by our own willpower or our own strength to reprove sin or even to be forgiving. This is a supernatural work of God that is only done by faith. And it is that faith that can, by the gift of God in my heart, help me to agree with God as to what sin is. It is by the gift of God through that faith that I'm able to pull up the roots of my natural tendency to get angry and want to get even and take revenge and protect myself and forgive only up to a point. Oh no, but that, and it's, it's so deeply rooted in me like a mountain or like a tree it can, that, that the Lord says, by increased faith, I will rip that natural tendency of your flesh out of your heart. And I can give you a heart like the men and the women of God who were able to reprove sin and who were able to forgive after my nature and after my character. And then look with me in uh, verses seven through 10, we'll close with this little exhortation. He, he, he closes this whole subject up with three little mini parables. He asks three questions. In verse seven, he says, and which of you having a servant plowing or tending sheep will say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat. Oh, but will he not rather say to him, hey, servant, prepare something for my supper, gird yourself and serve me till I've eaten and drunk. And afterward, you will eat and drink. So he asks uh, this question and, and the answer to, to verse eight is no. The, the, the master is not going to get up and serve the servant when he comes in from the field. Verse nine. Does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? Oh, thank you, my servant. You did everything I asked you to do. And the answer to that question is no. 
He's talking about earthly masters. You don't thank your servants when they do what they're supposed to do. Why? Because that's what they were hired and are supposed to do. You don't thank them. So the answer to the first question is yes. The answer to the second question is no. And then in verse 10, so likewise you, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. What Jesus is saying is that when God gives you the faith to rebuke sin, according to my word, and when God gives you the faith to be forgiving as my sons and as my daughters, then don't pat yourself on the back and think, wow, I'm, I am now pretty spiritual. I'm just like my father in heaven. He goes, no, if you start living and acting like a son of God or a daughter of God, don't, don't expect anything. You're still an unworthy servant. I gave you the faith. I gave you the nature. I gave you salvation. I gave you the character. You, are an un you, you should have, in other words, he is warning them against pride. He's warning them against saying, I, have, I am spiritual. I am a giant. I am whatever. You know, and, and he is saying, you're an unworthy servant. The truth of the matter is we, we're sinners saved by the amazing grace of God. And when we've done what we're supposed to do, that's the normal Christian life. That's, what's, that's what God's sons are supposed to do, obey their father. That's what daughters are supposed to do, is obey their heavenly father. That is the normal Christian life. But let me end with this. I'm going to go back and read to you an earlier parable that Jesus told, because I don't want to leave that in your mind. In Luke chapter 12, verse 35, Jesus said this, let your waist be girded and your lamps burning and you yourselves be like men who wait for their master. When he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately, blessed, which means, oh, how happy are those servants whom the master when he comes, we'll find watching for him to return. Assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself and have them sit down to eat, and he will come and serve them. In other words, after Jesus says that earthly masters, they don't thank their servants, and if you do what you're supposed to, you just did what you're supposed to, and you're not to pat yourself on the back. But Jesus says, but when I come back, I'm going to do what earthly masters don't do. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to serve you in the kingdom, wedding feast. I'm going to get down among you because I love you so much. And I'm going to bless you because of his amazing grace. What? How awesome is that? King of kings, Lord of lords. Who is the number one servant in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus. If you want to truly be great, you become the servant of all. And you know what serving, why is being a servant so cool and so neat in the eyes of God? It's the heart of Jesus who wanted to serve us that made him get close to us. If you want to get close to people, you become a servant. And that's what he desires is to be close to his bride. If you want to be distant and above people, well, then you're going to be separated from them. That's opposite of the nature and the character of our Father in heaven. Amen? Amen. So love one another, serve one another, rebuke sin, and forgive again and again and again. So in the end, there is no room for pride. There's only room for one thing in the kingdom of heaven, praise and thanksgiving. Pastor Ray Bentley with good insight on living a kingdom kind of life here and now. Glad you've joined us today here on Maranatha Radio. Today's study is titled, Lord, Increase Our Faith. If you missed any part of the message, you can hear a replay on iTunes or at RayBentley.com. That's RayBentley.com. 
When you get to the homepage, you can leave a tribute to Pastor Ray's life and service to the Lord. Also, click the word media, and you'll see the words watch, radio, and Devo. Three engaging ways you can enjoy Pastor Ray's insights via video, audio recording, or daily devotions. In fact, at the very bottom of the page, you can link to Pastor Ray's Facebook page, his podcast, his YouTube channel, and Twitter feed. And then after 30 years on the radio and the passing of Pastor Ray Bentley in early 2022, we're approaching the end of the Maranatha radio program. We'd like to thank you, our dedicated listeners, who've joined us through the years as we've journeyed with Pastor Ray through the Bible. We'll be continuing the broadcast through the remainder of 2023, but we're excited to share that we'll have a dedicated online location to access all of Pastor Ray's content, including video, audio sermons, books, and more. Please visit raybentley.com to follow along with us. But we hope you'll stay with us here on the radio through the end of the year. Next time, join Pastor Ray for more from our studies in the book of Luke. More from God's Word next time on Maranatha Radio. Maranatha, bringing the message of Christ's soon return, the whole gospel to the whole world. Maranatha Radio with Pastor Ray Bentley is an outreach of Maranatha Chapel, 10752 Coastwood Road, San Diego, California, 92127.